0: incredible adventures by algernon blackwood this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org read by patrick 79 story 1 the regeneration of lord ernie part 8 and this uproar he now perceived was composed entirely of wind and fire. Here, on the roof of the hills beneath a starry sky, these two great elements expressed their nature with an unhampered freedom, for there was neither rain to modify the one, nor a solid obstacle to check the other. Their voices merged in a single sound—the hollow boom of wind and the deep resounding clap of flame. The splitting crackle of burning branches imitated the high shrill whistle of the tearing gusts that, javelin-like, flew to and fro in darts of swifter sound. But one shout rose from the summit, no human cry distinguishable in it, nor amid the thousand lines of skeleton wood that pierced the golden background was any human outline visible. Fire and wind, encourage one another to madness, manifesting in prodigious splendour by themselves. Then suddenly, before a gigantic canter of the wind, the driving smoke rolled upwards like a curtain, and the flames, ceasing their wild flappings, soared steadily in gothic windows of living gold towards the stars, in towering rows between columns of black night, they transformed the empty space between them into a colossal temple aisle. They tapered aloft symmetrically into vanishing crests, and Hendricks stood upright, rising so that his shoulders topped the edge of the boulder, and utterly contemptuous of Lazan's hand that sought with violence to drag him into shelter. He gazed as one who sees a vision for at first he could only stand and stare, aware of sensation but not of thought. An enormous, overpowering conviction blew his whole being to white heat. Here was a supply of elemental power that human beings—empty, needy, starved, deficient human beings—could use his love for the boy leaped along at the skirts of this terrific salvation. A majestic possibility stormed through him. Yet it was no nightmare wonder that met his staring and half-shielded eyes, although some touch of awful dreams seemed in it, set, moreover, to a scale that scantier minds might deem distortion the heat from some thirty fires placed at regular intervals made midnight quiver with immense vibrations. Of varying yet calculated size these towering heaps emitted notes of measured and alternating depth, until the roar along the entire produced a definite scale almost of melody, the near one shrilly singing, those more distant booming with mountainous pedal-notes. The consonance was monstrous, yet conformed to some magnificent diapason. This chord of fire-music paced the starlit sky, direct but never overmastered by the wind that measured it somehow into meaning. Repeated in quick succession, the notes now crashing in a mass, now singing alone in solitary beauty, the effect suggested an idea of ordered sequence, of gigantic rhythm. It seemed, indeed, as though some controlling agency, mastering excess, coerced both raging elements to express through this stupendous dance some definite idea. Here, as it were, was the alphabet of some natural undifferentiated language, a language of sight and sound predating speech, symbolical in the ultimate deific sense. Some lord of fire and some lord of air were in command, harnessed and regulated. These formless cohorts of energy that men call stupidly mere flame and wind obeyed a higher power that had invoked them yet a power that by understanding their laws of being held them most admirably in control this at least seems a hint of the explanation that flashed into hendricks as he stared in amazed bewilderment from the shelter of the nearest boulder he read a sentence in some natural forgotten script he watched a primitive ritual that once invoked the gods. He was aware of rhythm and he was aware of system, though as yet he did not see the hand that wrote this marvellous sentence on the night, for still the human element remained invisible. He only realised, in dim blundering fashion, that he witnessed a revelation of these two powers which, in large lie at the foundation of the universe, and in little are the basic essentials of human existence, the powers behind heat and air. Fragments of this talk with Leysin stammered back across his mind like letters in some stupendous word he dared not reconstruct entire. He shuddered and grew wise. Realms of forgotten being opened their doors before his dazzled sight. Vision fluttered into far, piercing vistas of ancient wonder, haunting and half-remembered, then lost its way in blindness that was pain. For a moment it seemed he was aware of the majestic presences behind the turmoil, shadowy but mighty charged with a vague potentiality as of immense algebraical formulae, symbolical and beyond full comprehension, yet willing and able to be used for practical results. He felt the elements as nerves of a living universe, yet thinking was not really in him anywhere. Feeling was all he knew. The world he moved in as the scripts he read belonged to conditions too utterly remote for reasons to recover a single clue to their intelligible reconstruction. Glory, clean and strong as of primitive star-worship, passed between what he saw and all that he had ever known before. The curtain of conventional belief was rent in twain. The terrific thing was true." For an unmeasured interval the tutor, oblivious of time and actual place, stood on the brink of this majestic pageant, staring with breathless awe, while the swaying of the entire scenery increased, like the sway of an ocean lifted to the sky by many winds. Then suddenly, in one of those temporary lulls that passed between the beat of the great notes, his searching eyes discovered a new thing the focus of his sight was altered and he realized at last the source of the directing and controlling power behind the fires and beyond the smoke he recognized the disc-like shining ovals that upon the little earth stand in the image of the one eternal likeness he saw the human faces symbols of spiritual dominion over all lesser orders each one possessed of belief, intelligence, and will. Singly so feeble, together so invincible, this assemblage, unscorched by the fire and by the wind unmoved, seemed to him impressive beyond all possible words. And a further inkling of the truth flashed on him as he stared. That a group of humans, a crowd, combining upon a given object with concentrated purpose, possessed of that terrific power, certain faith may know in themselves the energy and move mountains, and therefore that lesser energy to guide the fluid forces of the elements. And a sense of cosmic exaltation leaped into his being. For a moment he knew a touch of almost frenzy— proud joy rose in him like a splendour of omnipotence. Humanity, it seemed to him, here came into a grand but long-neglected corner of its kingdom, as originally planned by heaven. Into the hands of a weakling and deficient boy the guidance had been given. Motionless beneath the stars, lit by the glare till they shone like idols of yellow stone and magnified by the sheets of flying, intolerable light, the wind chased to and fro, these rows of faces appeared at first as a single line of undifferentiated fire against the background of the night. The eyes were all cast down in prayer, each mind focused steadily upon one clear idea—the control and assimilation of two elemental powers. The crowd was one, feeling was one, desire, command and certain faith were one. The controlling power that resulted was irresistible. Then came a remarkable concerted movement. With one accord the eyes all opened, blazing with reflected fire. A hundred human countenances rose in a single shining line. The men stood upright, swarthy faces tanned by the sun and wind, heads uncovered, hair and beards tossing in the air, turned all one way. Mouths opened too. There came a roar that even the hurricane could not drown. A word of command it seemed that sprang into the pulses of the dancing elements and reduced their turmoil to a wave of steadier movement, and at the same moment a hundred bodies, naked above the waist, arms outstretched and hands with the palms held upwards, swayed forward through the smoke and fire. They came towards the spot where, half concealed from view, the tutor crouched and watched and Hendricks, thinking himself discovered, first quailed, then rose to meet them. No power to resist was in him. It was rather willing response that he experienced. He stepped out from the shelter of the boulder and entered the brilliant glare. Hatless himself, shoulders squared, cloak flying in the wind, he took three strides towards the advancing battalion. Then, undecided, paused, for the line he saw disregarded him as though he were not there at all. It was not him the worshippers sought. The entire troop swept past to a point some fifty feet below where the edge of the ridge broke out of the thinning trees beautiful as a curving wave of flame the figures streamed across the narrow open space with a drilled precision as of some battle line and hendricks with a sense of wild secret triumph saw them pause at the brink of the platform ridge form up their serried ranks yet closer then open two hundred arms to welcome some one whom the darkness should immediately deliver Simultaneously, from the covering trees, the tall, slim shadow of Lord Ernie darted out into the light. "'Magnificent!' cried Hendricks, but his voice was smothered instantly in a mightier sound, and his movement forward seemed ineffective and stumbling. The hundred voices thundered out a single note, and like a deer the boy leaped, like a tongue of flame he flew to join his own and instantly was surrounded borne shoulder-high upon those upturned palms swept back in triumph towards the procession of enormous fires wrapped by smoke and sparks lifted by wind he became part of the monstrous rhythm that turned the mountain ridge alive he stood upright upon the platform of the interlacing arms he swayed with their movement as a thing of wind and fire that flew. The shining faces vanished then, turned all towards the blazing pals, so that the boy had the appearance of standing on a wall of living black. His outline was visible a moment against the sky, firelight between the wide-stretched legs, streaming from his hair and horizontal arms, issuing almost, as it seemed, from his very body the next second he leaped to the ground ran forward appallingly close between two heaped-up fires flung both hands heavenwards and knelt and hendricks sympathetically following the boy's performance as though his own mind and body took part in it experienced then a singular result it seemed the heart in him began to roar this was no rustle of excited blood that the little cavern of his skull increased but a deeper sound that proclaimed the kinship of his entire being with the ritual his own nature had begun to answer from that moment he perceived the spectacle not with the senses of sight and hearing separately but with his entire body, synthetically. He became a part of this assembly that was itself one single instrument—a cosmic sounding board for the rhythmical expression of impersonal nature powers. Lazan, he dimly realized, fixed in his churchy tenets, remained outside, apart, and compromising. Hendricks accepted and went with all little customary feelings dipped utterly away lost false denied even as a unit in a crowd loses its normal characteristics in the greater mood that sways the whole the fire no longer burned him for he was the fire nor did he stagger against a furious wind because the wind was in his heart he moved all over, alive in every point and corner. With his skin he breathed, his bones and tissue ran with glorious heat. He cried aloud, he praised, I am the whirlwind and I am the fire, fire that lights that but does not burn, and wind that blows the heart to flame. His body sang it, or rather the elements sang it through his body for the sound of his voice was not audible and it was wind and fire that thundered forth his feelings in their crashing rhythm End of part eight